I'm Evelyn Glennie, and you're listening to the Evelyn Glennie Podcast. There are some things from my early childhood that really stick in my mind. And one instance was when I was about six years old and I entered a confectionery type shop with my mum and hanging up near the shop ceiling was a toy guitar. It was light blue in colour with bright yellow stars. And I remember I pestered my mum to buy it for me, which she eventually succumbed to. And lo and behold, that little guitar became an extension to my limbs as I strummed it to death. Well, little did I know then that I would one day have the opportunity to come together with one of our greatest guitarists. He has ignited the music industry with his phenomenal musicianship, his grace, taste and technical prowess. Milos Karadaglic better known simply as Milos, thank goodness, is a musician's musician. And his skill as a communicator is captured in the hugely diverse music he plays, the varied musical settings and collaborations he embarks on, and his infectious passion and hard work, which has quite rightly earned him the prestigious awards and recognition he deserves. So Milos, how did I pronounce your last name there? Pass or fail. You did amazingly. <laughs> you did amazingly. Absolutely amazingly. And I think that the hard R's of the Scottish accent help. Because <laughs> because that is exactly how we pronounce it back home in Montenegro. Oh, that's very kind. What does it, what does your surname mean? Kara Daglic mm. uh, is uh, it has a Turkish root uh, because as you know the Ottoman Empire was present in the Balkans for 500 years. Mm -hmm. Montenegro is the only republic or the only little kingdom in that whole sea of the Turks that for 500 years was never under anyone's rule, that fought very long and hard to preserve its independence. That's why we are today so so proud of our Mm -hmm. heritage and our history. Uh, and in Turkish, Montenegro, Black Mountain, Tsarnagora in our language, um, is Karadag. And because my family, um, some 150 years ago, uh, had to leave the old part of Montenegro, which was independent, and go to live in the part which was still under the rules of the Turks, which is today part of Montenegro, but that, back then it wasn't, they were called, oh, these are the Montenegrins, the Karadags. Mm. So the Karadags became Karadaglic. Oh, so my surname means from Montenegro. Yeah. And uh, it's a, it, not many people carry this surname. There is just one, uh, one family. Um, and I think like in Scotland, we have, uh, we have clans and tribes uh, as well. And we also have another name next to a name, which means that some eight other families are part of the same group. Um, and uh, it's interesting, it always comes up in conversations with, with people when you meet someone from the same clan. It's very, very interesting. How interesting indeed. I, I didn't know that part of it for sure. But of course, you are known as Milosh. So what was the point where, where, whereby you, you thought, oh, crumbs, you know, I'm only going to use my Christian name? Was it because everybody was getting, you know, well, your last name isn't something that we, we find easy to say as such? No, and I also didn't want to change my name for the sake of my career because I just felt that that was not uh, an honest thing to do, especially 
if you come from a very small country where there is a lot of pride and a sense of belonging to that family. Uh, so um, I decided that um, that since my surname will always be a stumbling rock <laughs> for anyone trying to pronounce it, except for Evelyn Glenny, <laughs> um, um, I was going to be known as just Milos because not many people are called just Milos. Mm. Um, and that's how people through my time in the UK for the last 20, 21 years mm. have always referred to me. Um, and it just somehow somehow became, became that. And it somehow works as well, because not all first names do work on their own. You know, sometimes mm. you need the rhythm and the flow and that phrase of, of having, you know, your Christian name and surname. But with you, Milos, it's just such a beautiful name that it's, it's oh, all en you. encompassing. But it's interesting because just to go back a little bit, I mean, I'd be interested to know what your musical landscape was as a young boy in Montenegro. It was a complete mishmash of things oh. because there was no direction or a sense of uh, musical ideas in my family. No one played any instruments. There was always a lot of singing. There was always a lot of enjoyment of music in our family. Um, but the local pop music or um, some traditional music. But if I think of of the things that really inspired me, things that really made it um, very um, important in my life. Um, I have to say that that has to be my grandmother's singing. Ah. Because she had such a beautiful voice. And, and this voice, um, and because we were so close, um, and she was like my favorite person in the whole world. Um, <laughs> I think that... Uh, that stayed with me as something very beautiful and very important. And, uh, I mean, did, oh, no, carry on, please. Uh, she um, possessed a rare sort of musicality uh, because uh, uh, her voice was like a, like a very um, lyrical soprano voice um, and, and she used it in a way that was so natural and so true and humble and... Mm. and just for her own um, peace and her own expression and her own expression of love to me as well. Mm. Um, and I think that I learned quite a lot from that. I learned that actually that's the whole point of music. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isn't it interesting, really, because when you mention about the trueness and the sincerity and yet the humbleness of, of someone just so naturally producing a sound that affects another, it, it's something in, in a way that you and I as musicians really strive for, you know, so we almost have that originally, but then through studying music, we sometimes, I'm not saying you would, but, but, you know, sometimes you can lose that and then you try to capture it by practicing more or, or, you know, experimenting with interpretations and so on. But there's just something so magical about an awful lot of the giving of music when it doesn't have the record companies or the, the PR agencies or whatever it is where there's an expectation. It's hard to describe, really. I'm very happy that you mention it because I, it's something that I'm fascinated with and, and I'm fascinated by uh, 
um, what inspires the greatest creativity and why is it that the, the greatest works of music and art and uh, the greatest interpretations or maybe the best I ever played myself uh, in my own opinion has always been in periods of struggle and strife and I, um, I just think that it's because um, music is it costs nothing it's um, out there as your savior if you need it to be it's out there as, as, as your inspiration it's out there to allow you to create a beautiful world around yourself no matter what the world outside is uh, throwing at you and you also as an extra element have an even more greater opportunity to invite the people you love and care about into that world Mm -hmm. And um, when I came to London to study, uh, I was only 17 years old. And, and you know, a 17-year-old from Montenegro in the 90s is a very different to a 17-year-old in Montenegro in 2021. Yeah. So um, uh, it was really coming to London to study the Royal Academy of Music was as if I landed on Mars. I, I was completely overwhelmed and lost and I knew nothing of the system or of the place of anything at all. But the one thing that struck me that was that even though my artistic and musical training was uh, so uh, limited compared to my colleagues who came out of amazing schools of music for that from the age of nine have had the best teachers, perfect pitch, amazing technical skill uh, and so on. Um, that the huge difference between us was that I was actually free in my music making and that actually I had no fear <laughs> whatsoever uh, because I was never judged or compared to anyone else. And um, that was probably ex and exactly the reason why I think I became successful. Um, uh, and and the fact that I never compared myself to anyone else who did well, like another, I mean, I looked up to amazing guitar players and I, I, I learned from listening to amazing guitar players, but, but at no point in my life I think I wasn't able to achieve that level. Mm -hmm. um, I just thought if I achieve my own best level and the best version of myself, that's going to be good enough because mm -hmm. If I believe in it, then the world I create around me is going to be happy with that too. Uh, so uh, when you mentioned record companies and PR and all of that, I think that's kind of the next stage because you, you, you fight your fights and you find your identity and yourself within the structure of a music college. And then you have to do it all over again in a sort of pre-career, pre-fame time. Uh, because that's where you're getting a lot of doors left in your face and then you have to reverse the process and then um, uh, and then open those doors again mm -hmm. by just being true to yourself and, and, and sticking to, to what music means to you and, and, and what you want to say with your music. Mm -hmm. um, and then the, the third process is actually when all your dreams come true and and then all your dreams come through and then suddenly you realize that you still have to keep the dream because the dream is not the fame, it's not the, the recognition or the number of people in the audience, 
but the dream is actually your art mm. staying uh, as a priority because it's so easy to lose uh, a priority of music making and to say, oh, you know, I'm not going to practice now, I have to do this, that or the other. Every time you do that, you are chipping away a little bit of your truth and, and, um, uh, and it's a very hard lesson to learn and some of us have to learn it the hard way in order to, to, to appreciate it for the rest of our lives. And I suppose that that dream is, the passion is that inner passion and curiosity. I mean, what I've found, certainly being in the industry a long time and certainly longer than you, is, is making sure that feeling of curiosity is still there, almost like a childlike curiosity. And it's not so much about how many concerts, the types of concerts, the, the, uh, how many people or how many recordings and so on. It, it's much more towards I suppose maybe looking at it from a selfish point of view, um, but what is it that's making you feel buoyant, curious, you know, sort of turning that next page, opening the next door, looking around the next corner to see what else you can explore? And, and, and that's what I found fascinating, having gone from a young percussion player trying to be the best percussion player I possibly could to then finding, well, that's a never ending journey to then, oh, I'm going to be the best musician I possibly can. Well, that's subjective and a never ending journey to then, well, what is a musician? We create sound. You create sound through your guitar. I create sound through the, the surfaces of percussion. But we're all creating a sound story and going back to your grandmother again and how she affected you. It's the trueness and, and then how that can plant a seed in another person that, that I find really interesting. So it, it's fascinating what you're saying. And I think what you've just said there is, is a massive lesson for all of us. You know, it, it, it really is just to reflect, think about and yes, what is it that we do? Why do we do it? What is music? What is sound? How are we listening to ourselves and so on? So it, it, I'm, I'm fascinated by what you, you've said there. And just to, to go back again a little bit, I mean, you you mentioned that you traveled to, to London as a 17-year-old, very, very young. You had absolutely no contacts whatsoever. But may I ask, why guitar? What, what, you know, introduced you to the guitar? What was it about the guitar sound world that, that fascinated you? It was just a way of um, expressing myself. And um, my first instrument was the voice. And I really always liked singing. And, and I would pick up a tune in a second. To this, to this day, uh, it's enough for me to hear a song once and I know the tune. I don't necessarily know the words, but like I accept the tune into my brain very quickly. Um, and, and that comes from, uh, maybe goes back to my grandmother and how we sang together and how we did, did things together. Uh, and it was a, a, a very uninterrupted process, a process of actual uh, connecting with another human being through the, through the power of the voice. And then... Um, I was not interested in, in the sports or in the football or in any of the boyish things. Um, and, and I really, really wanted to uh, explore my musicality further because mm. I didn't feel that, um, that anything else gave me the same uh, kind of uh, um, 
appreciation and uh, happiness uh, than music. And, and ever since I can remember my life, I can't think of it without music. Um, and at home we had an old guitar. That's really the reason why I, I play guitar, uh, was because that was like good enough. It wasn't even a good guitar. It was a completely battered, black, uh, ugly little thing that to, me, that to me was the most beautiful thing ever. Because when, I, when, I, when I, I remember strumming it for the first time, and even though some strings were missing or they were out of tune, there was some connection that happened in that moment. And, uh, and for me that was... a an important moment. It was an impulse that was very strong. Mm. Um, and, and it was just somehow like the fate played for me to, to play the guitar. And at that time, we never imagined that I would become a professional guitarist. To, to be a professional anything in music in Montenegro in the 90s was, uh, was, was kind of like a, um, unimaginable or only very weird people were musicians because at that time <laughs> at that time at that time there were so many troubles and problems and so on and, yeah. and just people didn't have the luxury of actually thinking that doing that for a living was a good idea mm. um so um i think that that in itself uh, uh, says a lot um but um that's how i started to play the guitar and i realized that when I played the guitar, I was able to talk to people in a way that perhaps I, I wasn't able to, to, to do as a child. Um, but it's interesting that the barrier of children and adults stopped the moment you musically express something that connects to the adults. And, and that mm. immediately opens a road to a conversation and it opens a, a place for you within your family first and then within the smaller group of friends and then within the society. And I enjoyed that. I, uh, I, the first time I went on stage to play for a couple of hundred people, I felt that it was the most natural thing for me to do. And, and uh, I, just, I just liked it. I just liked that I could do something that was different and, and that, that gave other people pleasure as well, as, as much as it, as it gave to me. Mm. Um, but you mentioned uh, just uh, j just before we we went into the question of guitar and um, you talked about preserving that essence and and um, and and also what is that childlike joy um, in in creating sound and in 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 creating your expression and how you preserve that childlike exploratory joy in in your music making. And I actually think that is the hardest question for any professional. Um, because uh, for me, the one thing I realized over the years is that every time I tried to force it, it killed it. And, yeah. and, and actually this pandemic has been so incredible in this way because it took away all the pressure, all those layers of uh, establishment and and uh, and what's expected and uh, and and it it allowed me to also hibernate uh, with yeah. my art and then and then and then feel like a fresh sense of connectedness to it and I think there's a lot to be said about that that it's it comes from some sort of a place of inner reserve like an inner gold mine that if you overmine it all the gold is going to be gone and it can't you it can't be replenished. Mm. Um, uh, it's, 
it, it, I'm sure it's something that, 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 that we all, all think about in one way or the other, but it all goes back to that first point of contact with your instrument and your, your childhood, in my opinion. Yes, yes, I agree with that. And I think a lot of musicians since last March, a year ago, um, you know, have really completely rethought about the landscape, you know, because it's such a different landscape and have really uh, thought about the balance, you know, in their lives. And, and I don't know about you, but I find that with performing, it's not like switching a, a turning a tap on or off, you know. Oh, so you give a concert seven thirty, and and you're you're meant to sound amazing. You always do sound amazing, but you know we have to work at that, and then the tap is switched off again, and then it's turned on, and 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 I found that actually this past year, as you said, it's it's brought on a different relationship. Uh, well, certainly for me, I find that I've connected with the instruments perhaps more than music you know, to a far greater level. And I think it's going to take a while for me to feel comfortable performing again, because it's that energy, the physical energy, the mental energy. It's the, um, it, it, it isn't just walking on stage and miraculously you, 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 uh, you know, you produce a, a masterpiece or something. It, I can't quite explain it, but I, I think lockdown has really highlighted how much stress actually, <laughs> you, you know, goes into performing. And it's not just the playing, it's all of the, the things that go with performing, you know, the traveling, the, the admin side, the, the queuing up at airports, the checking in at hotels, the whatever, whatever, you know, it's, it's really interesting. So, and I, one of the questions I was going to ask you was how lockdown has affected you, but, but you've, you've clearly embraced it you know in such a way that that it's managed to heal a lot of um, aspects that we all need has been a chance to reflect as musicians we get uh, battered used and abused in so many different ways um, <laughs> and and I think we are absolute maniacs to 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 want to do it willingly because uh, uh, willfully, because every time you, you you step out on stage, you are so vulnerable and you are naked, yeah. um, and 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 you need to be um, so incredibly strong to be okay with that and to be able to share that honesty with your audience without, you know, I I mean it's not it's not uh, just if if you are vulnerable and you feel insecure in yourself and you have to hold the attention of a thousand two thousand people for for the next uh, one hour one hour thirty or what however long the concert is it's not an easy thing but I think the only way to do that is is really by being honest and true to who you are and even if you're having the worst night of your life or the best night of your life in the same way, without exception. Um, but um, every time I, I ask myself this question uh, so often, because as, as in every musician's life, my journey has, has been one of, of a lot of different experiences, good and bad. And, and, uh, but but, but I, ask, I ask myself, why, why is it that every time I step out on stage and play for the audience, why is it that uh, I can't be like like 
I think some of my colleagues are where they just turn it on and it like comes out as this uninterrupted perfection. Um, but I think it's an illusion because I think we all um, might think that that's how it is for some people, but in the end it isn't because every time you, you play, it's a little bit that you are chipping off a piece of your heart and giving it out into the audience. And, and you just have to be careful how often and how much you chip it. And sometimes you chip it more and sometimes you chip it less. And, and uh, th th this is um, perhaps the, uh, the addiction. It's perhaps the very uh, sense of why it's so addictive and why it is worth all the trouble of all the all the stress of all the travel of all the industry of all the mess of all the reviews of all the it's it's it blows my mind and i think the the, the pandemic has has and the, and the peace that we were forced to have yeah. um has has made that so much more clear and mm. it will inevitably change i think how we behave in the future because it will just it gives us perspective that we would otherwise have never have received I think that's true. There's, in a way, just been less noise, you know, in the world, you know, quite literally in a way. And, and it's allowed us a chance to, to hear ourselves, you know, to, to just connect with ourselves a little bit more. And, and so, yes, it's really interesting. And, and just moving on a little bit, because when you made that decision to study at the Royal Academy of Music, um, that's a place that I also went to to study what oh, was yes. it about the the academy that uh that captured your interest was a was there a particular guitar teacher there or did you just toss a coin and and think oh well i'll, I'll go there or what happened no actually that was that was one of the key moments in my uh, uh life in deciding to be a professional uh guitarist um and i um always credit the wonderful Scott, David Russell, for that. Ah. Uh, be because uh, I went as a 14-year-old um, when there was a, a small window of a few years where you were able to travel again because, you know, in the 90s from, from Montenegro you couldn't really go anywhere because of the war and the uh, isolation Absolutely. and the embargo and all of that. It was a terrible time. Mm. But the, the closest port of call with the Western world for us was Italy. And David Russell was, was giving a masterclass uh, in a small Italian uh, uh, town where there was quite an important guitar festival. So I went with my father and, and met him and played for him. And he was incredibly inspiring and, and incredibly uh, encouraging for me to have a life in music. Um, and then uh, me being me, I asked him, I said uh, to him... Um, so where is, what's the best place to go and study? Like, where should I go? Uh, and, and it was a completely crazy question because no one had any money to go study abroad. No one had any idea what was going to happen. I was, uh, I was 14. I didn't even decide to be a professional musician yet. Uh, but I was like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I need to know because I, I, I was so inspired by David. And, and, and to this day, he is, he is like my... my absolute hero um, and uh, and he said uh, Royal Academy of Music is where I studied and where I think you get amazing education and 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 I really advise you wholeheartedly to find a way to go there so for me that was that was all I needed to hear 
Um, and uh, the next thing I know is I went to the British Council because at that time that was how you got information. Uh, we didn't have the internet in the same way like we have today. Uh, I rang up, I asked questions and then um, a year and a half later I felt I felt ready to apply. And I think that coincided also with um, with the late 90s where suddenly, you know, after a period of... Of, of things starting again, uh, it, it becomes intolerable uh, and, and, and the politics overtake again and, and, and you, you have the whole might of, of, of the Western army dropping bombs over your head because you have some crazy lunatic president somewhere or, you know, it's just, it was just such a disappointing thing. And I felt that that uh, even though it was a completely impossible mission to, to go to London or even think about it, that I had to do all that was in my power to make that happen. So I was waking up very early, practicing a lot, um, and recorded a tape, which I then sent to the Academy. It was uh, more than more than two, two years premature because I still had um, uh, two and a half years of school to go through before I was at the age to go to university, but I didn't care. I just wanted to, I promised myself that if I was going to be a musician, I had to be the best musician I can be. And I felt that at that time, it was time for me to go and learn somewhere where I'm actually in the center of that knowledge. So that's how I came to London. It's so fascinating because, you know, what you've really expressed there is, in a way, the art of creating your own opportunities, but then meeting that key, key person, uh, you know, who who can give you that encouragement, who absolutely believes and, and is there to to support, you know, the opening of, of doors. And it's a very similar situation, uh, I suppose, to what I had at the age of, of 14, meeting James Blades, who was the grandfather of percussion in the UK. And he was just giving a, a well, he gave a wonderful lecture demonstration up in Aberdeen in Scotland. And a lot of kids, including myself, were bussed in to see him. And it was a life changing moment. And he was the person who said, Evelyn, you know, why don't you consider uh, studying music? Because like you, I had absolutely no idea this would be a possibility. And but then taking the steps yourself to to move forward with that. Um, so it's it's very very interesting what you're saying, Milos. You mentioned uh, so much about your grandmother and and the, the the wonderful sound that she created when she was singing to you. Can you describe your sound? Do you feel that your your sound has an identity? I think it's all about the sound. I think, uh, and when I speak to young guitarists, um, I always say, I don't care how fast your fingers can play. I only care about how distinctive and and connected your sound is. Um, because we all try to imitate a voice. Mm -hmm. And uh, every instrument is um, is made to give us that feeling of of a voice and that's why I think it's such an unfair advantage when you work with singers is, is because um, they just have to create a sound of their voice and the whole attention is immediately on them <laughs> uh, um, but uh, but for me somehow I you know while I was always listening to 
uh, as a teenager to John Williams, like, oh my God, like I was eating the albums of John Williams. Um, and then, and then, of course, when I came to the academy, um, I had suddenly a whole library of music and recordings because I didn't have any of that in Montenegro. Um, and and I was uh, obsessed with Julian Bream and his commissioned works from the 20th century and all this stuff that I had no clue about. And and David was coming a couple of times a year to give master classes, and I got to know him better and to mm. to experience that that uh, personality and this sound and um, so they have formed one part of my musical personality as a guitarist but the side of my personality as a musician uh, was actually formed by being completely obsessed with opera Interesting. Um, and, uh, and 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 listening to inc incredible recordings of, of the great opera singers um, and, 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 and trying to actually, when I was working on a piece of, of guitar music, trying to think how would my favorite soprano sing that? Or where is the breathing? Where is the, why is there a color change there? Why there is a portamento? Why is there, um, um, what is that makes this so special? Um, mm. And for me, it became like an unwritten law that... Um, if I'm playing something, if I technically failed in a bar or, or got something wrong, that's not a big deal. But if I disconnected a thread, a golden thread of a line within the texture, and because guitar is quite complicated, we have harmonies and melodies always somewhere. And if that golden line has been interrupted that's when i really failed because the moment you disconnect that line and when you lose that human voice that you are putting into the instrument is the moment when you lose the attention of the member of the audience mm. a member of the audience doesn't care if 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 uh, if your finger missed the string or created some sort of a um a, a flaw in the texture uh, because that's human um, mm. And that's just only inevitable. And if we accept that that's always going to happen, no matter how hard we try, um, uh, that's going to give us the liberty to actually um, uh, be able to create a sound where string becomes a voice, in my case. Mm. And I mean, what I find interesting about your playing is that I forget that you're playing a guitar. You know, yeah. <laughs> it, it is quite, quite simply. And I think that's that's such an important lesson for us all, because, of course, we are trained to be instrumentalists. And, and I remember uh, thinking about my very first percussion lesson, whereby my teacher at school saw all of us who were playing percussion as sound creators, first and foremost, mm -hmm. then musicians, because you have to know how to, to put the sound together. So you have to understand the, the, the structure of a musical phrase. And then instrumentalists. And that was really fascinating for me because it meant that anything you did, it, you, you weren't worried so much about the 
the the technique or or trying to copy something else, trying to uh, stand in the correct position because what was correct is what is the sound you want to produce. So, you know, I have a, a pen here. So, and if somebody said, well, that's your instrument for the day, I think, right, what sounds can I produce with this this pen? And it is quite fascinating because it it brings on the thought about the fact that well we're we're you know drowning in social media and so on and certainly this this past year you know we're all connecting in so many different ways different platforms that we're we're exploring and for our younger generation they are exposed to the youtube performances so that they can see how a performer plays, they can listen to how a performer plays, and so on. Um, they can't feel the vibration so much of the sound, but nevertheless, do you think that that uh, th- these platforms has changed the way we die? We we we. What am I really trying to say here? We respond to music, or we progress with our own musical voice how we might explore our own musical voice, does it, does it aid or hinder how we learn a, a, a piece of music? It's been a question that's on my mind for a, for a good couple of years, and it's never been more present in my mind than over the last year. Mm. Um, there is something so incredibly special in looking forward to a performance of your hero, not knowing what your hero eats for breakfast or thinks of something that is normal people's life. Mm. Um, There is something so incredibly satisfying in that moment, just a couple of minutes before your musical hero steps on stage and produces the first note. And the vibration of that note hits you so deeply and it moves you forever and you never forget it. Mm. Mm. I think that new technology has taken that away from us completely. Um, and, and I worry for the next generation of musicians because the priorities have as a result of that changed completely. And I think that, that uh, while it is incredibly educational and wonderful to have access to so many videos of live performances and to see and to learn from your heroes and how they do it, actually great art becomes muddled in the sea of mediocre or sub-mediocre art. And, and as a result, all of it becomes so disposable and so unholy. Um, and uh, I mean... It's it's something that that I still cannot quite accept, um, and 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 something I still don't quite understand, and I don't really see how I as an artist can also um, change in order to uh, t- take that to to my advantage. And uh, you know, with my kind of career and with 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 a very wide audience that I have, I sometimes think that. It's expected of me and I don't often know how to give it because it's just not my personality to share every aspect of my life because I feel that every aspect of my life is not relevant to my music making. And, and I want, want the, the, the person that I play for in that live concert to feel my internal process 
not mm. to have my external process exposed as a life on Instagram or on on Twitter or on YouTube or or on Facebook. I mm. just find that so so hard to 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 accept and to understand. Um, mm. But I, I I just think that uh, uh, it's so sad that a lot of young young uh, musicians and and, uh, and 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 young people in general um, will not have uh, that and experience that incredibly special feeling of um, looking forward to something so, so, so much that your whole being and your every cell in your body is involved in connecting to that artist on stage or that painter when you see the picture in front of you or, mm. or an actor on stage. It's nothing can replace that. No, it's so fascinating what you're saying. And, and, you know, the fact that you said, well, perhaps social media doesn't really fit with your personality. That's such an interesting thing because you imagine that, well, social, social media is for everybody and therefore we should all engage in it and we have to engage in it and, and so on in, in order to be relevant or we're um, classed as dinosaurs or something. But actually, that goes back to listening, surely. It's listening to, you know, in the same way that we might think, well, chamber concerts are something I like to do, or perhaps I like to do less of that because it doesn't suit my personality, or concerto works, or Baroque repertoire, or whatever it is. I mean, it's all about listening, and it's fascinating what you, you've said there. Does social media fit my personality? And I absolutely, completely understand what you're saying about that. And the fact that certainly for me, where the vibration of the sound is absolutely paramount, you miss all of that, you know, when you're when you're observing a, a, a performance through social media, you, you absolutely miss that bodily experience, you know, where you can digest the layers of texture, the, you know, you can feel your feet tingling there, you can feel, you know, something being fed through your tummy, your chest, your neck, your hands, your, your, your fingertips, whatever it is. And, and it's something that I've definitely missed, but I have absolutely realized that to create music to a camera to a microphone or being in a recording situation is quite a different art form than giving a live performance, I, I find anyway. And it, it's, you know, in, in my case, even just the, 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 the kind of mallets and sticks used in a recording studio will be very different to playing that same piece in a live situation. There'll be different tools that will be used, a different kind of projection, a different physical movement and so on. It, it will be different. And I think we're kind of blurring things by thinking, well, if we just have a camera pointed at us and, well, we miraculously uh, play wonderfully, it, it's quite a different psychological setup. 100%. Um, and it just pains me when I think how much time and effort and energy is put into creating, uh, at least in my case, into what becomes my recorded sound. Mm. Uh, I'm very particular about 
what my recorded sound is. And actually, when I'm making an album, I think I probably spend at least a whole day just figuring out the sound um, and, 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 and making sure that there are many microphones that pick that sound from as many perspectives and angles as possible so that then it can all become this all-encompassing all, all warm sound that when you are listening to it on a, on a good speaker really hits you, that you hear the resonance, the depth and all those things that I feel when I play the guitar. Mm. Um, so what pains me so much is that when I know how much effort is put into that is that, uh, that currently um, there is this idea that, um, that, that that sound can then be processed into some iPhone camera or, 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 or something so sub uh, below any level uh, of quality or anything and, and then that is thrown out there for judgment and it's like that judgment is made within 10 seconds and and then it's like the next video and then the next thing and and it's i find that uh incredibly hurtful uh to to, to be honest um and um, and and it makes me very unhappy. And I, and and when the pandemic started, and when people were so quick to put uh, um, their iPhones in front of them and to record their practice and to to, to give it out uh, as content all the time, every day, just to keep present. Actually, I I I to this day feel that that's shooting yourself in the foot because mm. you are taking away uh, that process and that art that you are creating that we have to go back on stage. Things have to come back mm. to some sort of normal. We, there will always be the need of people to hear live music because of the way it makes you feel. But, but that need will be greater if you actually preserve your, your, the beauty of, of that creative process. Um, but I also I have a question for you because it's, I think the percussion is such an incredible thing to experience live. As in, uh, some of the greatest memories I have uh, is, is, is by watching this, uh, these incredible shows of, uh, with huge Japanese drums and oh, yes. and, and uh, the, oh, this is madness. And, and, in, and in Montenegro, there was, a, there was one drummer, I remember when I was a child, who was very good. He played in all the rock bands and it was like proper, proper drum. And then there was this one concert that I saw with four of those drums and they had this crazy improvisation and a crazy thing between them. Um, and it's so incredible. But how do you capture that on on record? Because for me, it's like making a making an album is somehow a, the most unique opportunity to approach it from a completely different side. And I always think of myself: I'm the painter that's making a painting, taking all the time in the world to put the color and the brush strokes and the ideal version of my reality, and then to release it. And it's there to live forever. And then whatever happens on stage is actually completely not connected. It's connected to that moment and the process. But like for a percussion, how does it, how does it work? Like how do you create that sound? And, and like you want me as a listener on this side to, to, to feel it and hear it. Oh, it's, it's a huge question, actually, Milos. Yes. And, uh, <laughs> because when you mentioned Kodo, and I know exactly the feeling, I remember. Oh, well, my I, God, it's I, mad. It, it's extraordinary. And I've seen them several times in, in London. And just that 
physical sensation is extraordinary. And even with them, when when they've produced the, the recordings, you know, they've actually explained that, well, you're not really going to get the full depth of those drums, the big, big drums, uh, because it, this, the speakers will just explode. And I think this is the thing with percussion is that you're dealing with so many different types of frequencies from high to low, different types of attacks as well. Mm. So loud on a triangle will be quite different to loud on a timpani or loud on an orchestral bass drum or something. Um, a marimba is quite different to a xylophone. You know, they look mm. relatively similar, but they're completely different sensations of sound. So, so yeah, I, I don't think I've got an answer to your question, but it is definitely a good idea to see the recording engineer and the whole team that work in the studio as an extension of your thoughts, your instrument, your sound, your, 100%. you know, we're all in that together. So it's really important for the engineer to be right there with the, the, the instruments to see how they speak, because, you know, not many engineers might have experienced a woodblock and a cymbal together, you know, and with and with every and with every recording experience we have, I think we learn something new. And um, uh, yeah, I I just think that the, the the whole the whole idea of recording is such a such an amazing opportunity to immortalize your uh, uh, the expression and the mm. connection you have with the music in that moment. And it's just like a blink of a second mm. of 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 the, in the time of an artist, but. It gives such a wonderful insight into into what was going on in the in the psyche internally. Mm. Um, yeah. But to to do that to do that right is is very complicated and it is. Uh, you never learn. It's never easy. No, it it is complicated. And I mean, with the guitar, do you see? I mean, with percussion, of course, we don't yet have the Stradivarius marimba or the Steinway vibraphone and so on. We're still very much developing with the instrument manufacturers. But with the guitar, do you think you have the ultimate guitar, as it were? Or do you see things that could be developed, extended? I don't know. I mean, there are so many different types of guitars. But in your head, do you, do you hear a sound that you think, oh, you know what? Mm, an extra string or length or I, I don't know. I'm afraid that I'm not that kind of a person, really, because I feel that no matter how um, how simple the instrument you play is, yeah. within that simplicity there is an endless possibility of, of 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 finding the different kinds of truth within that simplicity, and and um, I I just think that if you are constantly searching for more and more and more, then you never quite grasp the full range of what you already have mm. um, and and for me um, uh, my idea of the sound of like the guitar sound was like this incredibly rich and warm and deep sound that comes from like the core of your of your being and 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 for me that sound was the sound that John Williams produced mm. Um, and 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 having having uh, before coming to London, having learned more about guitar playing and repertoire and sound from the, a couple of uh, uh, illegally copied CDs that I had in Montenegro at that time, um, um, I, I I thought that that's the sound that I would like to be able to produce one day. 
Um, and John um, um, discovered this very pioneering guitar maker in the 80s, uh, who is his fellow Australian, and his name is Greg Smallman. Mm. And, uh, and, Greg, and Greg was fascinating because he abandoned the traditional way of Spanish guitar making, which can produce a very sweet but quite a small sound. Um, and, and, he, and he developed this idea where the back of the guitar is a bit like a percussion. I think you, I would love if we were together, I would have shown it to you now, but mm. it's like, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a curved back, which is reinforced with layers of wood. So it is like a back of a drum. Mm. And then the front and the front soundboard is, is as thin as a membrane. Ah. Uh, and, and it's reinforced with carbon fiber so that it doesn't break. Um, so what strings do when they resonate, they create this incredible uh, f uh, move of the wood, which, I mean, it's still not, it's almost visible with a human eye, but you, you, can, you can see it. And then it pushes out from the back, uh -huh. uh, from, from, like a drum. So, so, so the, the sound of my guitar uh, has that very warm percussive element to it which I think is able to carry much, much further into the hall and also into the microphone. Mm. So, um, so I have been obsessed with Greg's guitars um, ever since I love guitar. And that's, that is my sound aesthetic. And, and uh, I got a new instrument a couple of years ago, but I still haven't started to play it, even though it's from the same maker, because I'm so... Um, um, uh, in, in a way, I'm, I'm very boring because I, I just find that there are so many things still to, to discover in the guitar that I've had for 12, 13 years already. Um, so I'm, I don't dream of extension or more strings or anything like that because I just think I would never ever be able to, 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 to find my, my way around that. But it's fascinating in a way because, uh, you know, certainly one of the things in, in being a percussion player, when you're a young player, you're kind of fascinated by all of the instruments and you want to show everything and the Try kitchen sink. Exactly. But actually, as the years go on, you are more fascinated by the, the fact that less is more. You know, you are fascinated yes. by just that one snare drum or just that one cymbal or one block or one whatever. And, and so I can absolutely understand what you're saying. And, and there's a great, great lesson there for sure. Do you still have your very, very first guitar, the old battered black one that you mentioned? Oh, I don't know. I think one of the little cousins <laughs> plays on it or strums on it now. It's... <laughs> <laughs> It's quite a sight, I can promise Oh, dear. But then in, in you know, the, the guitar, as with playing any instrument, of course, is incredibly physical. And, you know, you have gone through a journey whereby um, in 2016, you just took a little bit of time off uh, in order to take care of a, a physical challenge. Can you maybe just describe that period was was this an unexpected situation for you? Was it frightening, stressful, uh, confusing? What went through your mind? It was definitely all those things uh, because I think it came at a point where I felt that most of my dreams and wishes had been fulfilled. Um, and I was working on a project where I was collaborating with a lot of my heroes and artists. I was playing music which was new to me. I was trying to reinvent some of the Beatles catalogue and, and make it into a, a piece of the classical guitar repertoire. And, mm. and it was very, very challenging because it required a great deal of flexibility and, and, um, 
and and during the same process um there were so many live performances there was so much um focus on what i was doing and and i think that at that time you just the body just finds some sort of a way to actually take you back and to to give you a perspective to think about it mm. because if you don't think about it you as as we said earlier in the in in when we were talking you just keep chipping away your your capital mm. and 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 if nothing is replenishing it then there's nothing left and so i mm. i'm afraid i reached the point where i just had to stop and and there was no really nothing i could do or even no matter how hard i tried that was helping mm. and uh i just had to allow the time to heal and to make it all possible again um and it was a huge um huge thing even though now from this perspective it feels like a short amount of time of finding yourself yeah. um when you are used to playing hundreds of concerts um yeah, taking a month out or two months out or in that case it was a whole year um it feels like eternity mm. uh because it's it's like uh you have no food to 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 eat uh, it's like no air to breathe because your creativity is blocked and it's stopped and mm. there is a physical element to it and you are not quite sure uh, how to overcome it because the traditional ideas of overcoming it, uh, you know, if it's a strained muscle or a, or a um, uh, pulled ligament or whatever, none of these things were the case. Mm. Um, but it was probably the most important education of my life. Um, because I I learned things about guitar playing that um, I now use and that I'm so grateful for because in the past uh, there was always an element of uh, um, inconsistency and 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 surprise and I never quite understood why this recital felt so great and why that one didn't mm. um, and that was because up to that point I played in a very instinctive uh, very in the moment kind of way which had its own beauty and it was part of its own world but it came the time that even after all the years of study at the academy and with teachers and and with 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 my heroes I had to find my own way as well mm. of to to make it work for um uh, for for all the seasons for all yeah. the days and for all the hours um and and having gone through the process of that injury and that psychological burnout perhaps um um that's how i got to that point and and i wish sometimes that uh, from this perspective where everything works fine and where you know i i i have rediscovered a sense of stability that i never had before in me uh, and this wonderful relationship of tension and relaxation and of creating a huge sound by using a bit of tension but then relaxing it into the whole and like all these things are now part of my process of a very conscious process and before it was a part of a very subconscious process and and that's why they sometimes worked and sometimes didn't and now they can work almost every time but if I'm honest, I really do miss that time when it was kind of random <laughs> um, because because there is also something so incredibly addictive about that. Mm. Um, but but everything I'm saying, I think, just really means it's a, it's growing up and, uh, and, 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 and learning about yourself every day a little bit more and understanding yourself, even though I think you never can fully, but you can come closer and closer to your own truth. 
Thank you, Milos. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure, I have to say, with a capital P. Um, I've, I've been so enthralled by everything you have given to the world. And to have this moment just to chat like this is, is extremely special. And I think it, it's, it's been very inspiring for me as a musician, but I think a lot of people, even out with the music business, um, will take on board what you've been saying and, and, and really digest your words and your story, your um, just incredible passion in, in what you want to do, how you want to do it, and the continued listening of yourself, which I think is, is the, the biggest key um, that we can, we can all tap into. So thank you very, very much indeed. Thank you. And it means the world, world what you said. Thank you. I would like to say a very special thank you to Audio Network for supporting my podcast. Thank you so much for listening. See you in my next one.